Section 9 of The Journey of Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca and His Companions From Florida to the Pacific, 1528-1536 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Sue Anderson the journey of alvar nunez cabeza de vaca and his companions from florida to the pacific fifteen twenty eight fifteen thirty six translated by fanny bandelier section nine we gave the christians a great many cowskin robes and other objects and had much trouble in persuading the indians to return home and plant their crops in peace they insisted upon accompanying us until according to their custom we should be in the custody of other indians because otherwise they were afraid to die besides as long as we were with them they had no fear of the christians and of their lances at all this the christians were greatly vexed and told their own interpreter to say to the indians how we were of their own race but had gone astray for a long while, and were people of no luck and little heart, whereas they were the lords of the land, whom they should obey and serve. The Indians gave all that talk of theirs little attention. They parleyed among themselves, saying that the Christians lied, for we had come from sunrise, while the others came from where the sun sets, that we cured the sick, while the others killed those who were healthy, that we went naked and shoeless, whereas the others wore clothes and went on horseback and with lances. Also that we asked for nothing, but gave away all we were presented with. Meanwhile the others seemed to have no other aim than to steal what they could, and never gave anything to anybody. In short, they recalled all our deeds and praised them highly, contrasting them with the conduct of the others. This they told the interpreter of the Christians, and made understood to the others by means of a language they have among them, and by which we understood each other. We call those who use that language properly prima haitu, which means the same as saying Biscayans. Editor's note. The references to the Basque language may mean that it was as difficult to understand as that idiom. End of note. For more than four hundred leagues of those we traveled, we found this language in use, and the only one among them over that extent of country. Finally, we never could convince the Indians that we belonged to the other Christians, and only with much trouble and insistency could we prevail upon them to go home. We recommended to them to rest easy and settle again in their villages, tilling and planting their fields as usual which from lying waste were overgrown with shrubbery, while it is beyond all doubt the best land in these Indies, the most fertile and productive of food, where they raise three crops every year. It has an abundance of fruit, very handsome rivers, and other waters of good virtues. There are many evidences and traces of gold and silver. The inhabitants are well-conditioned and willingly attend to the Christians." that is, those of the natives that are friendly. They are much better inclined than the natives of Mexico. In short, it is a country that lacks nothing to make it very good. 
when the indians took leave of us they said they would do as we had told them and settle in their villages provided the christians would not interfere and so i say and affirm that if they should not do it it will be the fault of the christians after we had dispatched the indians in peace and with thanks for what they had gone through with and for us the christians out of mistrust sent us to a certain alcalde sebreros who had with him two other men. He took us through forests and uninhabited country in order to prevent our communicating with the Indians, in reality also to prevent us from seeing or hearing what the Christians were carrying on. This clearly shows how the designs of men sometimes miscarry. We went on with the idea of ensuring the liberty of the Indians, and when we believed it to be assured, the opposite took place. The Spaniards had planned to fall upon those Indians we had sent back in fancied security and in peace, and that plan they carried out. They took us through the timber for two days, with no trail, bewildered and without water, so we all expected to die from thirst. Seven of our men perished, and many friends whom the Christians had taken along could not reach before noon the following day the place where we found water that same night. We traveled with them twenty-five leagues, more or less, and at last came to a settlement of peaceable Indians. There the alcalde left us and went ahead, three leagues further, to a place called Culiacan, where Melchor Diaz was chief alcalde and the captain of the province. As soon as the chief alcalde became informed of our arrival, on the same night he came to where we were. He was deeply moved, and praised God for having delivered us in his great pity. He spoke to us and treated us very well, tendering us in his name, and in behalf of the governor, Nuno de Guzman, all he had and whatever he might be able to do. He appeared much grieved at the bad reception and evil treatment we had met at the hands of Alcares and the others, and we verily believe that, had he been there at the time, the things done to us and the Indians would not have occurred. Passing the night there, we were about to leave in the morning of the next day, but the chief alcalde entreated us to stay. He said that by remaining we would render a great service to God and to your majesty, as the country was depopulated, lying waste, and well-nigh destroyed, that the Indians were hiding in the woods, refusing to come out and settle again in their villages. He suggested that we should have them sent for, and urge them, in the name of God and of your majesty, to return to the plain and cultivate the soil again. This struck us as difficult of execution. We had none of our Indians with us, nor any of those who usually accompanied us and understood such matters. At last we ventured to select two Indians from among those held there as captives, and who were from that part of the country. These had been with the Christians whom we first met, and had seen the people that came in our company, and knew through the latter of the great power and authority we exercised all through the land, the miracles we had worked, the cures we had performed, and many other particulars. With these Indians we sent others from the village to jointly call those who had taken refuge in the mountains, 
as well as those from the river of Petetlan, where we had met the Christians first, and tell them to come as we wished to talk to them. In order to ensure their coming, we gave the messengers one of the large gourds we had carried in our hands, which were our chief insignia and tokens of great power. Thus provided and instructed, they left and were absent seven days. Then they came back, and with them three chiefs of those who had been in the mountains, and with these were fifteen men. They presented us with beads, turquoises, and feathers, and the messengers said the people from the river whence we had started could not be found, as the Christians had again driven them into the wilderness. Melchor Diaz told the interpreter to speak to the Indians in our name, and say that he came in the name of God who is in heaven, and that we had traveled the world over for many years, telling all the people we met to believe in God and serve him, for he was the Lord of everything upon earth, who rewarded the good, whereas to the bad ones he meted out eternal punishment of fire, that when the good ones died he took them up to heaven, where all lived forever and there was neither hunger nor thirst nor any other wants, only the greatest imaginable glory, but that those who would not believe in him nor obey his commandments he thrust into a huge fire beneath the earth and into the company of demons, where the fire never went out but tormented them for ever. Moreover, he said, that if they became Christians and served God in the manner we directed, the Christians would look upon them as brethren and treat them very well, while we would command that no harm should be done to them, neither should they be taken out of their country, and the Christians would become their great friends. If they refused to do so, then the Christians would ill-treat them and carry them away into slavery. To this they replied, through the interpreter, that they would be very good Christians and serve God. Upon being asked whom they worshipped and to whom they offered sacrifices, to whom they prayed for health and water for the fields, they said, to a man in heaven, we asked what was his name, and they said Aguar, and that they believed he had created the world and everything in it. We again asked how they came to know this, and they said their fathers and grandfathers had told them, and they had known it for a very long time, that water and all good things came from him. We explained that this being of whom they spoke was the same we called God, and that thereafter they should give him that name and worship and serve him as we commanded when they would fare very well they replied that they understood us thoroughly and would do as we had told so we bade them come out of the mountains and be at ease peaceable and settle the land again rebuilding their houses among these houses they should rear one to god placing at its entrance a cross like the one we had and when Christians came, they should go out to receive them with crosses in their hands, in place of bows and other weapons, and take the Christians to their homes, giving them to eat of what they had. If they did so, the Christians would do them no harm, but be their friends. They promised to do as we ordered, and the captain gave them blankets, treating them handsomely, 
and they went away, taking along the two captives that had acted as our messengers. This took place in presence of a scribe, notary, and of a great many witnesses. As soon as the Indians had left for their homes, and the people of that province got news of what had taken place with us, they, being friends of the Christians, came to see us, bringing beads and feathers. We ordered them to build churches and put crosses in them, which until then they had not done. We also sent for the children of the chiefs to be baptized, and then the captain pledged himself before God not to make any raid, or allow any to be made, or slaves captured from the people and in the country we had set at peace again. This vow he promised to keep and fulfill so long until his majesty and the governor Nuno de Guzman, or the viceroy in his name, would ordain something else better adapted to the service of God and of his majesty. After baptizing the children, we left for the village of San Miguel, where, on our arrival, Indians came and told how many people were coming down from the mountains, settling on the plain, building churches and erecting crosses, in short, complying with what we had sent them word to do. Day after day we were getting news of how all was being done and completed. Fifteen days after our arrival, Alcares came in with the Christians who had been raiding, and they told the captain how the Indians had descended from the mountains and settled on the plain, also that villages formerly deserted were now well populated, and how the Indians had come out to receive them with crosses in their hands, had taken them to their houses, giving them of what they had, and how they slept the night there. Amazed at these changes, and at the sayings of the Indians, who said they felt secure, he ordered that no harm be done to them, and with this they departed. May God in his infinite mercy grant that in the days of your majesty, and under your power and sway, these people become willingly and sincerely subjects of the true Lord who created and redeemed them. We believe they will be, and that your majesty is destined to bring it about, as it will not be at all difficult. For two thousand leagues did we travel, on land and by sea in barges, besides ten months more after our rescue from captivity. Untiringly did we walk across the land, but nowhere did we meet either sacrifices or idolatry. During all that time we crossed from one ocean to the other, and from what we very carefully ascertained there may be, from one coast to the other and across the greatest width, two hundred leagues. We heard that on the shores of the south there are pearls and great wealth, and that the richest and best is near there. At the village of San Miguel we remained until after the 15th of May, because from there to the town of Compostela, where the governor Nuno de Guzman resided, there are one hundred leagues of deserted country threatened by hostiles, and we had to take an escort along. There went with us twenty horsemen, accompanying us as many as forty leagues. Afterwards we had with us six Christians, who escorted five hundred Indian captives. When we reached Compostela, the governor received us very well, giving us of what he had for us to dress in. But for many days I could bear no clothing, nor could we sleep except on the bare floor. 
Ten or twelve days later we left for Mexico. On the whole trip we were well treated by the Christians. Many came to see us on the road, praising God for having freed us from so many dangers. We reached Mexico on Sunday, the day before the Vespers of St. James, and were very well received by the Viceroy and the Marquis of the Valley, who presented us with clothing, offering all they had. On the day of St. James there was a festival with bullfight and tournament. After taking two months' rest at Mexico, I desired to come over to this realm, but when ready to sail in October, a storm wrecked the vessel and it was lost. So I decided to wait until winter would be over, as in these parts navigation is then very dangerous on account of storms. When winter was past, Andres Dorantes and I left Mexico during Lent for Veracruz to take a ship there, but had again to wait for favorable winds until Palm Sunday. We embarked and were on board more than fifteen days, unable to leave on account of a calm, and the vessel began to fill with water. I took passage on one of the ships which were in condition to leave, while Dorantes remained on the first one, and on the tenth day of the month three craft left port. We navigated together for one hundred and fifty leagues. Afterwards two of the ships dropped behind, and in the course of a night we lost track of them. It seems that, as we found out later, their pilots and skippers did not venture any further, and returned to port without giving us any warning. Neither did we hear any more from them. So we kept on, and on the 4th of May reached the port of Havana, on the island of Cuba, where we waited until the 2nd of June, still hoping for the other two vessels to arrive. Then we left. We were afraid of falling in with French craft that only a few days before had captured three of ours. At the altitude of the island of Bermuda a storm overtook us, as is quite usual in those parts, according to the people who are wont to travel in them, and for a whole night we considered ourselves lost. But it pleased God that when morning came, the storm abated and we could proceed on our way. Twenty-nine days after sailing from Havana, we had made eleven hundred leagues, said to be the distance from it to the settlement of the Azores, and the next day we passed the island called Of the Raven, and met with a French vessel at noon. She began to follow us, having with her a caravel taken from the Portuguese, and gave us chase. That same evening we saw nine more sail, but at such a distance that we could not distinguish whether they were of the same nation as our pursuer or Portuguese. At nightfall the Frenchman was but a cannon shot from our ship, and as soon as it was dark we changed our course so as to get away from him. As he was close upon us he saw our maneuver, and did the same, and this happened three or four times. The Frenchman could have taken us then, but he preferred to wait until daylight. It pleased God that, when morning came, we found ourselves, as well as the French ship, surrounded by the nine craft we had seen the evening before, and which turned out to belong to the Portuguese navy. I thank our Lord for having allowed me to escape from peril on land and sea. When the French saw it was the fleet of Portugal, they released the caravel, which was filled with negroes, 
They had taken it along in order to make us believe they were Portuguese, and to induce us to expect them. On separating from the caravel, the Frenchman told the skipper and pilot we were French also, belonging to their own navy. Then they put into their vessel sixty oarsmen, and thus, by oar and sail, went away with incredible swiftness. The caravel then approached the galley, warning its captain that both our vessel and the other were French, so that when we came up to the galley and the squadron saw it, believing us to be French, they cleared for action and came to attack us. But when we were near enough to them we saluted, and they saw we were friends. They had been deceived, suffering the privateer to escape by means of his strategy in telling that we were also French. Four caravels went in pursuit of him. Having come up with the galley and presented our respects, the captain, Diego de Silveira, asked where we came from and what we had on board. We told him from New Spain and that we carried silver and gold. He inquired how much it might be, and the skipper informed him that we had about 300,000 castellanos. Thereupon the captain exclaimed, Faith, you come back very rich, although you have a bad craft and miserable artillery. That dog of a French renegade has lost a fat morsel, the bastard. Now go ahead since you escaped. Follow me closely, and, God helping, I shall lead you back to Spain. The caravels that had gone in pursuit of the French soon returned, because the latter sailed too fast for them and they did not want to leave their squadron, which was escorting three ships loaded with spices. We reached the island of Tercera, where we rested fifteen days and took in supplies, also waiting for another ship from India with the same kind of cargo as the three our fleet was escorting. At the end of the fifteen days we sailed all together for the port of Lisbon, where we arrived on the ninth of August, Vespers of St. Laurentius Day, of the year 1537, and in testimony of that what I have stated in the foregoing narrative is true, I hereunto sign my name, Cabeza de Vaca. The document which this is taken from was signed with his name, and bore the seal with his coat of arms. Since in the foregoing narrative I have related the journey, the arrival at and the departure from the country, and return to this realm, I now wish to tell also what happened to the ships and to the people who remained on board of them. I have not said anything about them as yet, for the reason that we heard nothing of their fate until after our return, when we found many of the survivors in New Spain, and some here in Castile, through whom we learned everything that had occurred to them after we had forsaken the three vessels, one having been lost previously on the wild coast. These vessels were in great peril, and had on board a hundred persons with few supplies. Among these people were ten married women, one of whom had foretold the governor many things that afterwards happened to him. When he marched inland, she warned him not to go, as neither he nor any of his company would return, and that, should any come back, God would work miracles through him, as she felt sure that few or none would escape. The governor retorted that he and all who went with him expected to fight and conquer many and very strange people and countries, 
so that, while many would have to die in the conquest, he was sure, from the accounts he had of the richness of the country, that the survivors would be fortunate and become very wealthy. He entreated the woman to tell him who it was that had acquainted her with the things, past and present, of which she had spoken. She answered that in Castile, a Moorish woman from Ornachos had told her what she said to us before we left there, all of which took place as predicted. After the governor had appointed for his lieutenant and commander of all the vessels and their crews, one Carvalho, a native of Cuenca de Huete, we marched off, the governor leaving orders that they embark at once and proceed to Panuco, hugging the coast always and keeping a lookout for the port where, when found, they should wait for us. At the time the people were embarking, some saw, and distinctly overheard, the woman before mentioned saying to the other women that, since their husbands had gone inland to affront such imminent peril, they should not think of them any longer, but at once look for other husbands, that she was going to do it for her part. So she and the others married and lived with those that were on board the vessels. The vessel set sail and went on, but did not find the port in the direction they were proceeding. So they turned around and went back where, five leagues further down from our landing place, they struck the harbor. It stretched inland for seven or eight leagues, and was the one we had already discovered, and where we had found the boxes from Spain, as told before, and where were the bodies of Christians. From this harbor and along that coast, the three vessels together with the one that rejoined them from Havana and the brigantine cruised in search of us for nearly a year, and then, not finding us, they went to New Spain. That harbor is the best on earth. It sweeps inland for seven or eight leagues. The water is six fathoms deep at the mouth and five near the shore. The bottom is mud, and there are no tides inside the bay nor heavy storms. There is space in it for many vessels, and it has many fish. The distance from it to Havana, a Christian town on Cuba, is one hundred leagues on a line from north to south. The breezes are constant, and the trip is made from one place to the other in four days, because the vessels go and come with little trouble. And now that I have given an account of the ships, it may be well to record also who those are, and where from, whom it pleased God to rescue from all these dangers and hardship. The first is Alonso del Castillo Maldonado, a native of Salamanca, and son of Doctor Castillo y Doña Aldonza Maldonado. The second is Andres Dorantes, son of Pablo Dorantes, born at Bejar, but a resident of Gibraleón. The third is Alvar Núñez Cabeza de Vaca, son of Francisco de Vera and grandson of Pedro de Vera, who conquered the Canarian Islands. His mother was called Doña Teresa Cabeza de Vaca, and she was a native of Jerez de la Frontera. The fourth was Estebanico, an Arab Negro from Azamor. End of section 9 End of the journey of Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca and his companions from Florida to the Pacific, 1528-1536, translated 
by Fanny Bandelier.